This past Saturday, there was a wrestling show. In the main event, your favorite wrestler of 2021, Eat Surreal, took on Japanese star Veni in Veni's first match ever in North America. Also on the card, former guests of this very podcast, Shane McCoy, Aiden Von England, Candy Lee. A lot of great talent on this card. How can we not discuss a show like that? So that's what we're doing this week. We will be discussing Wrestle Queerdom. We will touch on the circumstances surrounding the show that really threaten to overshadow the hard work of the performers themselves. We'll get to all of that. This is Grid and Glitter. As I said, you're listening to Grit and Glitter, a weekly podcast dedicated to the power of women's wrestling. My name is Harley Arpaggia. My name is Edbeer. And this week, we are joined by the host of LGBT in the Ring. I'm arguably the only wrestling podcast better than this one. Yeah, yeah, I would say. I mean, it's a okay. tough race. Mm. People and that are as good, but definitely not better than us, except for LGBT in the Ring. And maybe Kevin Nash's new one. I've heard a lot of good things about that. Oh, and William Regal's podcast. I mean, wow. Right. But, other, but only podcast, only podcasters better than you and me. Kevin Nash, William Regal, and Brian Bell. A, I will take the comparison to, to William Regal and Kevin Nash in stride easily. It's good to, I good mean, to, good just to start, be it. I think you probably, if you want to hit the William Regal high mark, you need, you're going to need to up your like horniness on your podcast about like 20%. But otherwise, <laughs> to be fair, doesn't William Regal introduce all his podcasts by saying, hello, lovelies. That sounds like a William uh, Regal thing. It does I sound mean, like a William thing. Yes. Yes, he does. I'm a loyal listener to William Regal's podcast. Um, well, okay, never mind. We'll talk about it another time. It's no big deal. As I said at the top, this week we are talking about WrestleQueerdom. Em and I want to talk about the matches because there's a lot of our favorite wrestlers on this card. They put in some good work. We had some quality wrestling on this show, but you cannot separate the art from the artist. And this show in particular, we can't talk about the matches and the show itself, the three hours that aired on Looped without talking about all of the circumstances and the baggage surrounding it. And so for that, we needed an expert. We needed Brian Bell. Lord, I never knew this is what I would be known as an expert for. But yes, I've been covering and and following a lot of this stuff uh, around this event. And um, yeah, I'm definitely up to to getting into it a bit deeper, especially considering that, you know, our episode covering the show, which came out um, on Sunday morning or afternoon, depending on what time zone you're in. We recorded that before a lot of uh, a lot of the additional baggage that has come out uh, over the course of Sunday. And so there's a lot more to delve into when it comes to all of the uh, periphery or preamble, amble, whatever you want to call it, around the actual show. Yeah, so I think um, 
I I, I would really love to focus on the pluses of this show, meaning the talent and everybody who really pulled through to make this show happen and happen as competently as possible. So let's do a like concise, potentially, recap of some of the issues that have plagued Russell Queerdoms for the last several weeks. Um, Russell Queerdom was the enterprise of Transgraps, which is a um, in, until now, not a promoter, correct? Correct. This was Sally who who founded Transgraps as a fan community back in December. This was her first uh, event as a wrestling promoter. Yeah, and I mean, this is a hell of a way to make it make a, a splash into the world of wrestle promotions. Um, this wrestle queerdom promised to be the biggest queerest transist wrestling event ever. Um, bringing in international talent in addition to some of the, the biggest trans wrestling stars in independent wrestling. Um, the card just started shaping up over a period of time. And every time a new match was announced, it was like, what, how, who, what, where? Um, so it was very like enticing and, and it sparked a lot of like buzz and lots of people got interested. And I know that, you know, plenty of people did end up buying tickets, but it um, in the past several weeks, there have been issues plaguing the event, ranging from, you know, dramas and and beefs on Twitter and within the larger, you know, LGBTQ wrestling community, the queer wrestling community and who gets to speak for whom. And then more tangible issues like where is the money coming from? And those things have kind of uh, met each other in the middle and exploded into this controversy in the background of this event that actually did happen on Saturday night and happened, I would say, mostly smoothly, smoothly for, you know, a debut wrestling promotion from somebody who never had any experience running a promotion before, running a show before, any experience in that realm at all. Uh, so, so I understand the money part of it. That's a pretty simple thing. But the, the, the beef, the online beef, the social media beef, it goes a little bit further because Sally has a background as a Twitch streamer, correct? Um, yes, to some extent. I, I don't know exactly how much they streamed on Twitch prior to the founding of Transgraps, but once Transgraps was founded, uh, the doing Twitch streams centered, centered around pro wrestling and showcasing trans wrestlers was one of the things that Sally stated that she wanted to do with the the brand so to speak and you know has has done that you know there are there are some like youtube video collections that they put together a la what tiger driver uh did at one point uh, highlighting people like benny uh and edith surreal uh if i'm not mistaken uh she has done plenty of of twitch streams uh looking at specifically a lot of like japanese pro wrestling here and there um and the main hub really has been the discord channel i think the discord channel has been the main thing just kind of giving uh, you know, trans and non-binary, gender diverse and g- gender non-conforming pro wrestling fans a place to congregate in a way. Um, and of course, when, as that has happened, and as we've seen with what has transpired with some of the handling of the more public-facing asset aspects of trans grabs, um, we've seen the the brand and Sally become wrapped up in what seems like a, a cycle of controversy apology apology uh promise to be more professional and we've just seen it kind of repeat itself multiple times over the span of these last eight nine months or so 
Yeah, I know one of the main reasons I think a lot of people didn't quickly get on board with really hyping this up and promoting this show in the weeks and months leading up to it, and I think Good and Glitter falls in that category, was there were the lack of transparency, the, the, the anonymity of who's running this show, especially with it being a first show ever in a state that... I'm, I'm from Canada. I know nothing at all about New Hampshire. I couldn't place it on a map if I had to. If you gave me one of those challenges of, like, name all 50 states off the top of your head, you give me a week, I wouldn't come up with New Hampshire. So there's that, but then it's a question of who is this person that is running this show? How are they bringing... How are they flying in wrestlers from Japan and New Zealand to wrestle at this indie show? Who's doing commentary for the show? No commentators were ever announced, as far as I can remember. All these questions of like, well, what is this? Is this is this legit? Is this a real thing? Or is this going to be canceled a week before, like so many other indie shows? Those were some of the real questions that I was seeing from people in the weeks leading up to the show. Yeah, I mean, and those questions were very, very valid to have. I myself had some of those questions as well. And, you know, as LGBT in the ring was a sponsor for WrestleQueerDome. Mm-hmm. You know, like and even even having that relationship that I have have had with Sally, you know, you know, I've had her on the, my podcast a couple of times um, and we've had conversations here and there. Um, but even then, there were some there were a lot of like lingering questions for me, especially once I saw uh, the Sunny Kiss announcement. That was the one that kind of threw me up a little bit to be like, OK, where exactly where exactly is is the funding coming from for this and um is sally starting to get in over her head with this because also in my conversations with sally you know you know it seemed like you know she is in communication and friendly with promoters in the new england area um i think she's she stated publicly on my podcast you know that she's had a, a a friendship with uh the promoter of limitless out of maine for for a while and so, um, you know, it was surprising to me that she kind of took this all on herself without reaching out and, and working more closely with established promoters to make sure that some of the, the pitfalls of the show specifically, and of course the larger issues that we're seeing now, but the show specifically would, would run a bit smoother. And I think that was another reason why there was a lot of doubt around this was because like, you know, Sally had said that she had reached out to to people that she knew that she had reached out at one point she told me that she had spoken with Dark Sheik about the idea of running a show as well um and then we saw also in the statement that Aiden von England put out this morning as we're as we're speaking now on Sunday morning that where you know Aiden said there were multiple trans promoters that reached out to Sally offering to help and Sally just kind of Push like didn't really listen or, or let people in to help in that way, um, according to Aiden. So, yeah, yeah sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Brian. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry to cut you off um, because that was something that stuck out to me in Aiden's statement. Aiden von England um, has a really unique uh, perspective from this event um, for a variety of reasons. Um, a really compassionate and empathetic responses that he has been releasing throughout the you know day following Russell Queerdom. Um, but it was also it's a really emotional event for him, I imagine, because this is where he made his you know big coming out in front of the crowd. So I can imagine that this event had a lot of stake for him 
in uh, very personal ways and to see him um, kind of grappling with that in social media and, you know, trying to encourage people to have compassionate responses while also being, you know, bluntly honest about the issues that are happening has been, you know, really interesting and, and um, heartening to see because uh, it's putting it's putting a lot of context, a lot of important things in context. But the thing that he mentioned about people offering to help and uh, Sally not, you know, not accepting that help, not accepting, not not even, you know, with people who had more experience or not taking on that counsel or advice. Like, I just, it breaks my heart because I understand the hubris involved. And I think anyone who has tried anything beyond their specific wheelhouse or, or expertise can say that they have probably failed more times than they've succeeded. But when you are offered help from people who have know-how, especially in wrestling, I'm just saying, like, especially in wrestling, when you have, because it's such a specialized set of skills, right? A specialized set of knowledge, even as far as putting a ring together, like you need to make sure that you've got as many supporters and allies behind you as possible. And also that you're putting other people in front of you who know what they're doing. It just breaks my heart that, Sally didn't kind of trust other people to like carry this on with her instead of just taking it all on herself. Yeah. And I've spoken with like multiple talents that worked on the show in the, in the hours, like since all of this started breaking on Sunday. And it really feels like the overall sentiment is that the show went as well as it did despite Sally. Like it really felt like according to who I've spoken to, like they have said um, things like, you know, the show really wasn't run in a way you know it was more that the the talent were so passionate about wanting to put on the show that they did and the the meaning and the significance of the show itself which also you saw play out in what Aiden posted in in his statement you're talking about people that paid for their own flights to New Hampshire on the promise of being reimbursed afterward um people who pay for their own uh you know car transit out there on the promise of being reimbursed afterward um it just really seemed like the passion of the people that were actually in front of the camera and helping to run things uh, behind the scenes there um, were really the driving force of getting the show to the, the the level of like goodness, I guess you could say, the level of quality rather, the level of quality that it was. I know Sally definitely had some hand in that as a promoter, but it also feels like Sally, you know, there's a lot of talk about a lack of transparency from her, from a lot of people that I've spoken with, a lot of people that have voiced their um, thoughts on online today. Um, and it just really feels like there was a severe lack of professionalism and, and understanding exactly what the role was supposed to entail. I, I don't know her. I've never spoken to her. Everything I really know about Sally, I gleamed from the interview that you, Brian, did with her a couple of weeks ago on LGBT in the Ring. But I came away from that interview with a certain, I guess, like impression in my head or like a, a, a sense of what I think she's like. And Aiden's statement really, really made, really matched up with sort of my idea, which is that I don't think she's a bad person. I think a lot of people really want to dogpile on and make it seem like this was done maliciously or, you know, like she lied to people on purpose, knowing that she couldn't pay them, but she lied just mm -hmm. to get them in the building. I don't think there's any of that. I don't think there's any. This was done with deceit or with malice. I think it really is just a matter of she's 23, immature, 
thought that, you know, I know what I'm doing and that how hard can it be? I think that I think that seems to be like the mantra for this. Like, oh, I just book this card and I bring these wrestlers in and like it'll work itself out. And it's like, no, it's not. You're not throwing a birthday party. You can't just buy some Doritos and some Coke and invite all the people over. There's a lot to planning, to tracking the finances, to figuring out who's doing this, who's doing what, to getting all those pieces together. And it's a shame that A, she turned away help going into the show and B, has now alienated even more people afterwards. People who were there to support her, like Pro Wrestling Vibe, like Limitless, all those bridges haven't burned now. Yeah, I mean, and that was kind of what we saw in the lead up to the event as well, because obviously there was a lot of people that had already kind of detached their wagon, so to speak. I mean, there were people that had detached their wagon from the Transcrap brand months ago after the the entire kerfuffle around the AJ Gray uh, stuff and, and discussion that happened there in relation to what happened with uh, Jay Shell and that sort of thing. You know, there's been a lot of talk, back and forth talk about the way the Transcrap's role in that and you know, a bunch of different stuff. You can definitely, you can find it. It's out there. Um, but obviously we saw the first hiccup being that, that Sally's production team backed out short notice because of travel uh, issues and that sort of thing. But, you know, Sally landed on her feet by getting an IWTV team there to shoot the show last night. Um, you know, I believe it was the same, according to Sally, it was the same team that does, that runs the beyond live streams. So you had a quality team that that stepped up and and got the show running there, and then you had the the situation with the tweets about Vinny that came out on Thursday that really made everything blow up ahead of going into the show. You know where Sally is tweeting out these like observations about Vinny while she's asleep. Um, you know Sally stated to me that she and Vinny viewed those as inside jokes that probably shouldn't have been tweeted but were, and that really you know I. I with that situation, I don't fall into the camp of like calling Sally predatory at all. I think it was just, you know, you another case of someone treating what is supposed to be a forward-facing like brand social media account as a personal account, and it's the same sort of cycle that we saw of like um, I wouldn't necessarily qualify this stuff as shit posting, but you see like the shit posting apology promise to be more professional cycle again that has happened, you know, and this and this is concerns that I have voiced to Sally myself. You know, in our conversations and, and, you know, and she has been very reassuring about wanting to do better and trying to do better. But a pattern is a pattern. You know, yeah. I don't I no shade to Sally on that instance, but a pattern is a pattern. You have to learn from these things because you have notable people, notable trans people in the wrestling community that were already cutting ties with her before that. And then more even after that happened. And then, of course, what happened with Maxine Taylor pulling out of the show. And the the disagreement about how Sally worded the re, that that pullout uh, message there, and Max being very very uh, public about you know the disagreement there, and not wanting to do to do business with Transcraps or Sally in the future at all. Um, so yeah, there's been it's just been a lot. It's just been a lot of, of stuff that has kind of really led up to everything to the point that like a lot of people that. There were people that I spoke to that um, didn't know if the show was even going to happen on Saturday because of it. Yeah. And the next the next permutations of, of it here throughout Sunday. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I admit I was a, I was starting to become, I don't even know if I would say skeptical, but a little wary about whether or not the show would actually happen on Saturday. But, you know, it did, it did happen. And even given the missteps to get there, even given some of the production issues once it started happening, I mean, we know that there were some issues with commentary. We know that because of um, how the show was booked and running, they had to nix the roast of Candy Lee and they moved Eddie onto commentary. He had not been prepared for. So that was a bit of a, a shakeup and definitely didn't benefit the commentary or, or the commentators. But overall, I'll say that if you were someone who, you know, watched the show devoid of any context, devoid of any of the background knowledge and, oh my goodness, to be that person. Oh, how I would have loved yeah. to be. Um, if you were someone who just got to watch this show free of any of that knowledge or baggage, I think there's a lot to really have enjoyed in this show and to celebrate. There really is. And there's so much accomplishment here, even with the context and understanding how much the talent had to, to pull together to make this stuff happen. It makes it all the more impressive that it came out so cohesively. Yeah, I mean, it's a testament to the people that were, like, still had the reins in terms of, like, the wrestlers and Brandon Hamilton on, on ring announcing. And, you know, a big shout out to Coda Holiday as well for, for really taking helm of the commentary booth at, during the second half of the show. And kind of, even though that was also on the fly, let's be real, there was no commentary team set before the show was started. Right. I was going to ask you that because in all the talent announcements and match announcements, I never saw any commentary announcements, and I was very curious about that. I was like, that would have been that would have been reassuring to me too. If I had seen a month beforehand on com- like on commentary, Veda Scott, I would have been like, okay, I guess I can trust the show. Yeah, the most we saw was like Sally put out a call for people who who wanted to like apply to be a commentator on the show in a way, you know, reaching out who would you want to see and that sort of thing, and then it was basically radio silent after that. We never got an announcement for commentators, um, and it showed because Eddie volunteered to be in that role. I don't know how Love Doug ended up in that role. There, there was really no real wording around that, to my knowledge, that I've seen. Um, it might be out there. I just haven't seen it today. But the two of them kind of helmed it during the first half, and obviously there were a, a lot of issues with uh, you know mis- uh, misstatements on pronouns a lot that, that really caught the ear of, of people watching the show. So much so that, you know, Eddie voluntarily like stepped away from it. And then Coda and Cameron set in and Coda finished out the rest of the show. And Coda um, really, I think, really kept that that part of the presentation in in a way that um, was really awesome to see, considering that literally she just like sat down <laughs> during intermission and was like, go, you know, without like a, a sheet to work off of or anything like that. So. Yeah, Coda was arguably the MVP of the night for just, like, pitching in everywhere in every way possible, which makes it all the more frustrating when 20 20 hours later you're reading that Coda never got paid, um, Cameron Saturn never got paid, they're stuck here in New Hampshire, they don't know how they're getting home, they don't know how any of this is happening. So, Brian, is, is WrestleQueerdom salvageable at all for a next year? For whatever, if Sally comes out this week and puts out a really genuine, heartfelt statement and promises everybody will get paid and everybody does get paid by the end of the month and apologies are made, 
is it possible to do another one next year or has everything just is is it all just dead now i mean it's hard to say with 100 percent certainty just because i haven't had the chance to talk to sally today to try and and parse out where she is at or anything like that but i would say from the public sentiment wrestle queerdom if it is run under the transgraps brand or has sally's involvement um i would probably say that that will not happen again at this point but it's also the old idiom in wrestling never say never i think if if sally did want to make this something that she wanted to do again i think she would have to want one show that she is partnering with people who know the business more than her and can help bring stability to this show and two i think she would have to be a lot more at least somewhat more public about the finance the, the structure of the financing of this show because i will admit like i i talked to sally on friday after the whole Vinny and maxi and paler stuff happened and i like it asked her like I need you to break down the, how, the financials of this show. I need you to tell me like where the money is coming from. How are you affording to pay this stuff? And um, I will say like whenever she told me that you know the majority of it was going to be self-funded along with supplements from the sponsorships and from ticket revenue and stream revenue and that sort of thing, um, it threw me for a little bit of a, of a – I still had questions. Obviously, it, it – it, Brought me back down to earth a little bit, but then I found out that like the self-funding that was involved in that was coming from a bank loan that her mother was receiving um, due to them going through some financial hardship, and that the loan hadn't that hadn't cleared yet. So, and, and this is this is my this is directly from my conversation with Sally. Um, I think that she was she had confidence that that was going to come through, and also she told me that there were a number of talents on the show, not every talent, but some talents that had agreed to a 50-50 split payment deal where they receive 50% of their rate on the day of the show and 50% of their rate after she received the ticket revenue from Eventbrite and the stream revenue from Looped and uh, the bank loan came in, which I will say this, um, as someone who is – recently stepped into that promoter role for the first time ever and someone who has like been around pro wrestling and, and kind of learned a lot about how you run a promotion and run shows like this i i can say that structuring things around a 50 50 50 payment deal like that where you are paying talents based off of the back end stuff that you don't know when it's going to come in is not a viable structure to have for a show it's just not um, and, you know, and, and I think that's where a lot of these frustrations are running into, because the reason why people like Cameron Saturn and Don't Die Miles and Coda Holiday were stranded in New Hampshire the way they were to the point that, you know, in my conversations with, with some of them, like basically saying that, like, Sally couldn't even get them like $100 for gas to get out of, of New Hampshire back to the Midwest where they're located. Like, that is immensely frustrating to hear because – if you don't have the money up front and ready to go to run a show, you you sh you don't need to run a show. Yeah. When you think about when you think about the potential that could have been if maybe Sally had just stepped back a couple of steps and said instead of doing this huge thing, what if I 
sponsor a match, like a, a highlight match at an upcoming event? What if I, you know, what if I offer to be a like sponsor to a promotion that can bring this to bring in a specific set of people? And like, there are any number of ways to do this that could have yielded a less messy result and a result that didn't require wrestlers to scramble on social media for people to help support them, which of course we were ha- like, everyone is happy to our supporters, supporters are pouring in. And um, I was just seeing that um, as of this like late afternoon, early evening um, kid bandit who was on the show ha- was covering the re- remaining um, cost for the wrestlers who had not, get gotten any form of compensation so there really was a mentality amongst the roster that came in to protect each other and to look out for one another that's just not what they're supposed to have to do (laughs) like it's wonderful that these wrestlers are looking out for each other and that you know us as fans and people who are in and around wrestling can help support these people during tough times but the tough times shouldn't be a promoter not paying their talent because she didn't have the money to begin with. It just, it's not, it's not the right way to do things. Um, I'm not being, I'm not trying to like, you know, be her, at, attacking Sally here. Like I'm, I don't want to attack a person who has big dreams and is trying to do something really big. I think it was a, a noble idea, but I do think she was setting up a lot of things in motion to, to fall apart. And um, when you do that with people who are traveling from all over the country, and traveling internationally, traveling by car, hundreds and hundreds of miles, bringing them to New Hampshire in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it occurred to me in the middle of the day, like, there's something especially unsettling about the fact that, you know, un- un- these wrestlers are of marginalized communities. Many of them are especially vulnerable. Um, and you're bringing them to the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, it's especially dangerous, but anytime you put marginalized people in a situation where they don't have money, they don't have the, you know, immediate connections or or support network in place right there and you've essentially left them stranded, you're you're putting them in double danger essentially. And that is irresponsible in an an extra way. No, 100%. 100%. Like it, there there are so many aspects of of this show when it falls to to Sally that do fall into that irresponsibility bucket, so to speak. And I think that's really the main reason why I don't think we're going to see Sally involved with any future shows going forward. I don't know. You know, um, I also don't know even though the future of transcripts at this point, because, you know, the discord has started to splinter a little bit as well. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen people that are kind of branching off and saying that they are don't feel comfortable being in the dis in that, that Discord uh, server anymore. I've seen people already start to establish um, other uh, trans uh, inclusive wrestling discords as well to kind of like give people a, the same space, but away from the transcripts name. There's also been questions about whether like graphic designers have been paid for this, whether um, the artist who like painted the sponsor logos on the mat um is getting paid for for their work and then also the the pre-order the ring crew uh, hasn't been paid in full yet yeah the ring crew as well like there's so many people that are out uh money right now but and all for the passion they put into this that it just it just all around screams the same unprofessional 
things that we've seen uh, play out over the course of the last eight or nine months or so, but it's just a much larger, larger voice because it, you're not just messing with people's temperament online or, or they're messing with their wallet and their safety at this point. Now, I mean, even Candy Lee hasn't been paid. Like, just let that sink in. A lot of lessons learned from this one, for sure. Yeah, I definitely won't be running a show anytime soon. Yeah, you'd have to be a fool to be running a show at all in the next four to five weeks. That's what I say. Right? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) But hey, if you like the wrestlers on this card, if you like the spirit of uh, what the show you know, could have been what it was at its core, the talent involved, the great wrestling. Head on out to Portland, Oregon, September 11th for Cascadia. Oh, it's actually in Everett, Washington. Everett, Washington. <laughs> oh, yes. middle of nowhere, M. No, it's 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 a suburb of Seattle, right? Okay. We're, 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 we're partnering with Without a Cause and Pride Style to put that show together. All right. only reason endorsing it is because it's not actually literally in Seattle, because boo Seattle. <laughs> I don't know if I can get behind that sentiment, but yeah. I, I do. Appreciate I don't, I don't like Seattle. I got beef with Seattle, but Everett's fine. Brian, tell us a bit more about Cascadia quickly before you got to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to talk more about it in, in depth at some point, but, you know, we got uh, tickets still available at brainbusterticks.com slash Cascadia. Uh, announced matches so far. We have Max the Impaler challenging uh, Sandra Moon for the Pride Style Championship. Uh, we also have Ashton Starr coming in from the Southeast to take on Keita uh, for the Without a Cause Championship. Um, number of talents uh, that have been announced so far. We have more matches and talent announcements coming in the, in the next few weeks. Uh, and, and I'm doing all of this while still getting ready for, for a wedding in about a week and a half. It's It's fun. Um, it's real fun. I'm enjoying myself. Don't worry. And and also a huge shout out to Neil House with Pride Style and Max with Without a Cause. You know, we've, we've become a very good trio in putting this this whole thing together. Yeah. Okay, Brian Bell has departed. If you want to hear Brian's thoughts on the WrestleQueer to matches and the talent and the show itself, go check out. This week's episode of LGBT in the Ring, it's already out. Brian and their fiancé talk about the whole show for that perspective. Now it's just me and Em, the classic grit and glitter duo, here to talk about these matches that streamed live from Milford, New Hampshire. That's right. Um, it was a, okay, let, let's just start with the venue right off the bat. Um, the Dome. The Dome. I love a... I, I love a venue with AstroTurf. And so do the wrestlers. We, they, I, I love that they took advantage of it during the Rumble. You know what? I think I think it was a lot of fun to, like, work that in there and to work in, like, the athletic, like, athletic rec center-esque feel of it. Um, it works surprisingly well. A venue like this can feel kind of cavernous, but I think the setup did a nice job of making it feel as intimate as possible in something that is like, you know, largely used for large recreation sports. So it worked out pretty well. And the acoustics weren't terrible either, as far as I could tell from the stream. Um, the stream was also, um, as we mentioned in our talk with Brian Bell, the stream looked surprisingly good considering, not even considering like the trouble with the production in the back, in the background, all the behind the scenes drama, but just 
you know, a new promotion. We've seen plenty of promotions run by people who've had lots of experience with streams that looked less like smooth and visually clear than this one. So I have to say, like, I know that seems damning with faint praise, but it actually it looked good on the stream. Especially live. Like doing anything ask your teammate mayday. Doing anything live is such a headache, such a nightmare. So the fact that whomever was involved with production, whether it was the IWTV team, or I don't have the full details exactly on that. But yeah, production looked good. We got on-screen graphics for all the wrestlers. It was a little echoey in the dome when people were doing promos. I can't fault anybody for that. I don't know how you get around that, really. No, but the mics worked. (laughs) Maybe 70 to 80 fans in the crowd, I would estimate. Looked like about 20, 25 people on each side of the ring. I think at one point there was the Wrestle Queerdom tweet out that there were something like 100, 150 fans in the audience. It did not, if that is true, if it was over 100, it didn't look like that, but the, the seats around the ring, like those sections, all looked fairly full. And the show only started eight minutes behind schedule. That's not bad for an indie show. Oh, hell no. That's for an indie show i was once at a show a benefit like fundraiser wrestling show that started an hour and a half late so that is the bar if you start before then then i count you in as as having succeeded so we open with host brandon elizabeth hamilton i don't know much about brandon but uh they're very very confident very competent in their role did a good job as the sort of host slash ring announcer for the night because I know I've seen Brandon Hamilton in other promotions, maybe even Wrestler's Lab, maybe. I know I've seen Hamilton before, So, um, but kudos because I think Brandon did an excellent job. And then we open with, it was going to be the roast of Candy Lee. We got told because of various circumstances, different people canceling, that instead of Eddie McQueen hosting the roast, Eddie would be on commentary. They were joined by Love Duck. I missed the, I missed who it was. They only got like one mention once and they weren't shown on camera. But I think Brian said it was Love Doug joining Eddie on commentary. They were not prepared for it. That's one of the thing one of the circumstances around things. when I spoke to Alyssa Marino two weeks ago, she really said like the key to her doing good commentary is just preparation. She spends weeks going into shows, messaging and emailing with people, creating a Google Doc, getting comprehensive bios from the wrestlers themselves when did you how long you've been wrestling where are you from what what are your signature moves do they have names all that sort of thing eddie and doug did not have any of that they didn't have like pronouns made available to them and they'd met some of these people an hour earlier so i get it it's it's not it's not an easy circumstance to kind of pull that together no it is not and um kudos to them for doing as much as possible to make it smooth um i know that there were some issues with pronouns etc but like you really can't fault these people like they they had such a minimal amount of preparation time and commentary you know if you have one color commentator who's on there who's not like super up on every single person in the ring it's not necessarily going to show if you have someone who's holding the fort who has all that information at their fingertips but like Neither of these commentators really did, and that's, you know, they they did the best considering. There was a commentary change after the intermission so that we did get a kind of a fresh set of voices, and those were actually, including Coda Holiday, that that worked, I think that commentary worked a lot smoother. Now, the cancellation of the roast of Candy Lee, 
I'm perfectly okay with this. I hate roasts. I think they're cringe. I think they're embarrassing. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Don Rickles. I don't care if it's Ric Flair. I don't care if it's Candy Lee. I, I, I don't need to see that. I would have gone, made some dinner if it happened anyway. I 100% agree. I think it's a terrible idea to have a roast in it. And I... I get it. People, some people like people like roast. Some people like roast. This was not an environment that I think needed that. Um, this was supposed to be a like triumphant and joyful moment for everyone involved. A roast is supposed to be loving, but comes with sharp, sharp edges and lots of bite. And I don't know that that was anything that was needed, especially given the baggage involved in this event. So I'm glad it was next. It was not something that needed to be there in the first place. Instead, we kick things off with a real noteworthy moment and like a real like nice triumphant feeling of like, okay, wow, like what a great way to kick off the show. The first match is supposed to be Shea McCoy versus Eden Von England. And what, what by itself, what a perfect match to kick off the show. They've faced each other many times, many different promotions, including on the show, as part of the newly taped game, our game show, they faced each other on there with Shay and Shay's cousin Boomer coming out on top, whoever, my apologies, coming out on top over the Yvonne Englands. So putting these two people who know each other so well and have this pre-existing rivalry in the opening contest, great, makes a lot of sense. But then the icing on the cake is before the match, Eden comes out and reveals that they are no longer Eden, they are Aiden, they are trans. They will be using he, him going forward. They have new gear to show it off. And yeah, just like such, just such a lovely moment to kick things off. Yeah, I, it was really moving. Um, and it gave the sense that the performers were ready to be vulnerable and um, be their full selves in front of a crowd that uh, was really ready to support them in every way possible. And the crowd really um, secret MVP in this whole show because this crowd was ready for everyone. They were embracing everyone and they were there for all of it. You know, the best parts, the messy parts, every bit of it. The, the crowd was there to to be in the moment and to be um, 100% support from the talent. So um, this was really moving and a, and a really great way to start off the show because it set the right note. You know, if the show had started off with a roast, I, I feel like that kind of humor would have left maybe kind of a sour tinge in the air. Rather, we got to kick off with a, a moment where someone got to reveal their authentic self to a room full of people who are ready to, like, just rapturously praise them for doing so and support them in doing so. And that is, you know, if you're going to have an event like Russell Queerdom, that's the type of thing you want to kick off with. Hmm. But then Shay wins with a roll-up and hook of the tights. So Shay still managed to make sure that we started things off on kind of a bummer. You know what? I, for one, am really glad that it was willing to kind of play more of a heel in this because one thing that this card kind of overly lacked was heels. There were people who act heelish in various ways, but there wasn't, there were, it, it was feel good to the point where a lot of the matches were like kind of good guy versus good guy in a match where one person might be a little sneaky or snarky, but like, nobody was really heelish and i thought that shay actually did it which was nice so shay picks up the win in six minutes our first three matches all clocked in under 10 minutes 
So at that point, I was like, wow, this is going to be, I guess it's going to be like a, maybe a short show, especially because there were some matches canceled at the last minute. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a brisk show. We might be in like in and out in under two hours. No, we made it to the full three hour mark. Our second match, uh, Zeke Mercer open challenge. Originally, it was supposed to be Zeke Mercer in a triple threat against Richie Coy and Canaris Moro. Moro had to drop out in mid-June due to uh, reasons, can't remember why, something personal. I want to say maybe health or COVID related, but I really am, I don't remember. And then Richie dropped out over the weekend for other reasons unknown. So Mercer issues an open challenge. It is answered by Eros Drifter. I'm not familiar with either of these wrestlers, I will say. But Mercer did. Mercer was one of your heels on the show. One person who was like not. I was more than happy to be the heel. Yeah, I was. I was really pleased to see that as well. We kicked off the this show with two matches that had kind of very defined uh, dynamics, which I thought was good. Um, I know a little bit about Zeke Mercer, friend of the show, Don Hallowell, is a fan. Um, I this was the first time I've ever seen Eros Drifter. And it was, it was a fun match, you know, nothing, nothing life changing, but I, I always appreciate when people come in with kind of high gimmicks and I, um, I thought Eros's gimmick was, uh, perfectly translatable to the crowd, but it was fun seeing Zeke. I can see why John's a fan. And Mercer picks up the win as well. Off to such a feel good show. We're off to the races with two heels picking up the wins. <laughs> Our third match was, uh, one of the first big matches of the night. It was for the Pierce's Bumping Grand Prize Championship. Candy Lee defends against Impact Knockout, Giselle Shaw. That's kind of a big deal. Kind of like, you know, the fact that we got somebody from Impact Wrestling here on the show. And you, yeah, you've been watching Impact lately. What do you think of Giselle? I like Giselle a lot, and it's been fun to see her, um, her in the mix amongst the knockouts division. They were doing some fun things with her and uh, Tamil Dashwood and Madison Rain and their tag team and her being kind of like a, a third member of their like little stable and uh, Masha Slamovich being like kind of a monster hunting Giselle. And it, it, uh, she's a lot of fun. She got to, she got to come up a little stronger than the role she's playing in impact as, as far as like, She's getting to play more of a character in Impact, and this she got to be like straight up wrestler. But I really like Giselle Shaw, and I was glad to see her here. I mean, plus you just like you know another another out and proud and talented trans person on a on a fairly large wrestling promotions roster is never anything to look away from. Yeah, this is probably the longest match I've seen from Giselle. I have in my notes, I don't know what it was, but there's certain moments she really reminded me of Ivory. Some of the facial expressions, I think, and maybe even the body language, I was getting getting shades of sort of like right to censor era ivory from Giselle, in, a, in the in the complete opposite of the wardrobe department. But yeah, a nice little match went eight minutes. Candy wins with a split leg leg drop from the second rope to retain the Pierce's Bumping Grand Prize Championship, and that means that Candy advances to defend against Sunny Kiss later in the night. So then we go to the Queerdom Rumble. This was a, this was a mess as well, but mm-hmm. a mess in the way where I'm like, yeah, I, I'm like, okay, I'm fine with this mess. 
you know, I can understand why the commentary, why people would have issues with the commentary, and clearly the, Eddie himself felt embarrassed about being put in that position and being made to, arguably, being made to look foolish, I guess, or or unprepared or whatever. This is messy in a way where I'm just like, it's wrestling. Okay, sure, let's go with it. The first two, the first uh, entrance number three and four come out about two and a half minutes <laughs> in between entrance. I'm like, that's a long for a rumble. You never see somebody come out two and a half minutes. But I'm like, okay, whatever. And then entrance five comes out like three and a half minutes later. And I'm like, okay. And the last entrance comes out like seven and a half minutes. And I'm just like, sure. Why? I, okay, yeah. They don't tell us how many people are in the match. They don't tell us how long the intervals are. There's no clock, countdown clock. Of any sen- of any sort, and I'm like, sure, let let's go, whatever. I'm having fun. I don't care. I love everyone involved in this match. So many of these people are some of my like absolute favorites to see, and it was a blasting Cheryl because uh, we got to revisit our blow episode and how delightful she was in this. Um, and Mariah Moreno uh, taking home the win on this as a, like an actual like retirement finish match for her. Um, so wonderful. Uh, lots of like standout moments, lots of fun little moments here and there. I will say, and this is my brain, okay? This is just like, I'm coming to realize that like overstimulation is an issue for me. And this match got chaotic to the point where because there was no like structure to how the people were coming out and timing, there was nothing to like rely on as far as any of that timing structure goes. I I started getting super uncomfortable and itchy watching this match because I just I could not figure out who was like how many people we had left if there was it like how much time was between entrance and then there was all this like batshit stuff happening in and around the ring and at one point they have like a foot race and you could only follow half of the action because the cameras can like do so much and so it was unclear of like who was where and what who was actually running and like I just it made me ha- get heart palpitations because it was just it was too much stimulation without any kind of grounding factor. Like even just having entrances that are like actually like one minute apart, like with a some kind of buzzer, like that would have given me some kind of reassurance. Instead, it was it felt too chaotic. Yeah. See, I wonder how much this match was affected by cancellations and the like because you know maybe this was going to be a 15 person rumble with tight one and a half minute entries maybe that was the original plan and then when you come down and you're like oh we only have at least six people now let's just spread it out let's just (laughs) let's just do little three minute matches between each entrant but yes yeah it was messy it was messy but i really enjoyed the foot race by uh Nick Pierce and Cameron Saturn. I thought it was I thought it was just so funny that they walked through the crowd way out to the end of the dome where there was a, a racetrack because it's uh, it's a big sports venue and they literally ran the entire perimeter of the dome. I loved Cheryl versus Sassy Boatwright. Like getting to see anybody from Blow outside of Blow, so fun. And Sassy and Cheryl got some fun little moments there before Sassy got eliminated. And then. Yeah, so in the end, we come down to three of our original four. We come down to Nick Pierce, Cameron Saturn, and Coda Holiday. 
Coda Dump Saturn, then Coda Dumps Pierce. In, in 20, it's been 22 minutes. We think Coda Holiday is the winner, but they still want to continue dishing out punishment to Pierce. So doors barred in the ring. And then seven minutes and 45 seconds after entrant number six came out, entrant number seven comes out. And it is the goddess, Mariah Moreno. Retired about a month ago, a month and a half ago, over social media, announced it. Was supposed to be here to be inducted into the Transgrap Hall of Fame. If that happened, that didn't te- air televised. We didn't get any sort of like a speech from Mariah at any point on the show or any sort of ceremony with a plaque or anything. I'm wondering if that happened during intermission or if that just if it was just sort of an induction in name only. I, 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 yeah, I don't want to speculate on something that I didn't get to see. It would be really cool if it had happened during intermission, um, but I'm guessing it was just something that got uh, mentioned online and didn't end up getting any kind of follow-up in person. Well, regardless, it was so nice to see Mariah, to see her in the ring. She ends up uh, tossing Coda by the hair through a door, tosses Coda over the top rope, and Mariah Moreno is your Rumble winner in 25 minutes. Uh, like yeah Megan uh, Glitterati member Megan and I were talking about this during the show and we're like what a nicer like punctuation mark on the end of Mariah's in-ring career versus just making an announcement over Twitter or an Instagram that you're retiring you know even on even on a show like this that it's not the mostly widely seen show it doesn't have thousands of viewers watching it or whatever at least it's something it goes in the record books that hey you had one final match and you won so we go to intermission, commentary change. We come out of intermission. It's now Coda Holiday and Cameron Saturn on commentary, clearly just volunteering to jump on because otherwise we're getting no commentary for the second half of the show. And Cameron Saturn does one match and then decides, yeah, I, I can't do this. And Cameron bails too, but Coda sticks it out for the entire show. Yeah, Coda did did great work and I, like I cannot stress this enough if you have watched this show or you simply want to support some of the talent um, a lot of the talent could probably use a little bit of extra helping hand right now so but definitely go seek out Coda Holiday on uh, Twitter find uh, where you can uh, financially support uh, them and, and everyone else involved but uh, Coda really pulled through on commentary and kudos to kudos to them because that was uh, it was not a light thing to have to do First match after intermission is Don't Die Miles versus Kid Bandit. Bandit's such a star. Considering they, they came out of nowhere the, this year. Honestly, I don't think they got any votes in the Glitter Bombs in December because they weren't on anybody's radar. They, Yeah, they were just starting to get... Um, they were just starting to gain steam in December before... But right before our... Um, right, right before our, our voting closed, so... Yeah, unfortunately, they didn't get the shine that they that she deserved um, at the time. What has been really interesting to see um, in Kid Bandit in the last couple of months is how her style has developed, and, and she's been open about this on on her Twitter. Um, how the, her style has had to evolve, and her moves that has had to change to some degree because um, hormones and um, the like transition she is going through is altering her abilities to some degree. So she is going, she is having to actively change the way that she wrestles and that evolution is is evident and it's not making 
her a lesser wrestler. It's just making her a different wrestler. But it's also an exciting evolution to see because every time you see her, she's more of the person that she is, more of the, the person, the actual person that she is trying to be. And so the character shines more because the person who is playing the character is is clearly at home in themselves more than they have been in a long time. And having a strong character like in indie wrestling on indie shows, that can make you. I mean, look at you know, look at people like Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen, right? Like, not to say that they're not good wrestlers, but that character just takes you to a different level on a show when a lot of other people maybe don't have strong looks or strong personalities. Like Bandit just going out in the crowd and hiding among the crowd, hiding behind the other the fans and stuff like that. Like that's one one of the more memorable moments of the show for me. Yeah, adorable. And and Don't Die Miles is a fun uh, counterpoint for Kid Bandit too, because I, I think I just happen to think Don't Die Miles is just adorable. So it was a fun it was a fun match. Genuinely felt um like there was camaraderie even in the antagonistic moments and ended very, very sweetly. Longest match of the night at 16 minutes, other than the Rumble. Yeah, it was a long one. I worked. I did the second half of this show working out, and this one was like, I was like more than halfway through my row, and I'm like, whoa, this this match is still going. But if you add her two matches together, Candy Lee wrestled a solid 19 minutes. So Candy's up there for uh, for the in ring work because then she defended the Paris Bump and Grand Prize Championship against Sunny Kiss. I like the crowd loves both of them, obviously, but I like that Sunny leaned a little bit heelish in this match. You know, wrestled a little bit dirtier, a little bit uh, taking some influence from their old partner, Joey Janela, maybe, and trying to encourage fans to kind of get behind Candy. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really smartly played. Uh, clearly, Sunny's just such a professional at this point. Like, not only is she like, not only is she a, a, a great talent who was rightfully signed, but like working for a major company has given her some chops that you know some of her counterpoints are simply have simply because you know they haven't gotten there yet. So her having that like that background with a major company gives her a savvy that I think is really well utilized in a match like this. I was surprised on commentary that Coda didn't put as much emphasis as I would have thought on the fact that this was Candy's second match of the night. I feel like that was what, sort of one of the big stories of this of this match is Candy's already wrestled like once tonight against an Impact Wrestling star, and now she has to wrestle again against an AEW star. That's a that's a big selling point for Candy, and that's a, again why it makes sense for her to pivot, not pivot, but for her to be positioned as a babyface in this match. And it's a nice it's a nice little match. The finish was a little bit out of nowhere for me though. Like Candy's on the second rope. Sunny does a handstand kick to the head, but then Candy just kind of just jumps down and then rolls up Kiss for the pin. Yeah, a little underwhelming, but I'm going to give both performers a pass, especially Candy Lee, considering that, you know, this was the second match she had to wrestle, and the card was pretty deep in at that point. Um, It wasn't the finish I was expecting. It did not... It did not it, it may have like let me down just a touch but it wasn't it wasn't a deal breaker for this match it didn't ruin the match for me again candy lee pinned an impact wrestler and an AEW wrestler in the same night that's kind that's kind of huge i've seen sunny kiss a bunch of times on indie shows here in toronto and i literally thought 
that like Tony Khan had said, oh, you're not allowed to lose on indie shows because I've never seen Sonny lose on indie show. It's always uh, like the heel gets themselves disqualified or something like that. I've never seen Sonny get pinned outside of AEW. Yeah, I mean, usually when Sunny is on the independence, uh, she's getting that, that W, but with a actual, you know, pseudo championship on the line, uh, Candy's retaining. Then we went to Joan Jetson versus Cheryl. This one, I don't. This was the point where I was like, okay, we're up to two and a half hours into the show. I'm ready to, I'm ready to wrap things up. I'm ready for the main event. I don't know why we got this match. I don't know why we got it here when it would have made much more sense in the first half of the show. It was only five minutes, so I guess it's fine. But it just felt it just felt unnecessary. No offense to the wrestlers. No, no offense to Joan Jetson and to Cheryl. Um, I both of whom are delightful, and I I, I love the gimmicks on both. But uh, this should probably not have happened, at least not in this spot. But I also understand that they were both in the Rumble earlier, so like. They needed some time to reset, but like, just super weird timing. It's super weird to have a match like Candy and Sunny lead into a match like this before the main event. It just, it didn't make any sense. Like it wasn't, it didn't even necessarily, we didn't need a palate cleanser. Sunny and Candy were the the semi-main and then the main event, there didn't need to be an in-between. It just, it didn't need to happen. That being said, I liked her a lot. Glad to see more Cheryl. Super glad. Really digging Cheryl. Well, and also it seems that they had a tight three hours on the live stream because after the main event, right at the right at the ten thirty mark on my clock here in the Eastern Standard Time Zone, they went off the air. And that's another thing where I was like, hmm, I, I would have scrapped that match if it meant we got five minutes after the main event where we got to see. I mean, Venny's not going to do any mic work because I don't think they're fluent in English, but Edie could have. Edie could have done some mic work and, you know, raised Venny's hand and we could have got to see the two of them pose for some photos. I'm sure there's a bouquet of flowers waiting for them somewhere in the arena, knowing those fans. It would have been nice to see more of a sort of a post-match thing after the main event rather than rushing off the air. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of time to breathe afterwards. It was very much like the main event was was in and done and then you know thanks everybody bye and you know i i don't need a huge denouement from from a show like this there's a lot of uh there was a lot of promos and a lot of like you know heartfelt speeches on mic it just it did feel a little rushed at the end when we had dedicated you know five some minutes to a match that didn't really need to be on the card like all due respect i don't know i feel bad saying that (laughs) everybody was doing their most to make this work the main event was was very good though, as you as you would expect from these two, Edie and Venny. Thirteen minutes, we get, and it felt like a main event. It felt like you know we got, with sort of the Joshi tradition of going out in the crowd and just throwing people under the chairs. Mm-hmm. That's like yeah. that's a real Japanese thing, just like destroying all the chairs in the main event. We got Venny hitting like a top rope moonsault to Edie standing at ringside early on. In the match, we got Michinoku Driver, we got counters and reversals. That's yeah. Venny wins with a top rope moonsault. And I just came out of this. God, we can make a highlight reel of people on Grid and Glitter just gushing over Edith Surreal. Every member of a team has done so at least five or six episodes. 
But I came out of this being like, okay, like I need Edie in Japan next year. I want to see Edie do a tour of Japan, whether it's like a month, like a couple of weeks for TJPW or for Diana or something. Like, I think that'd be so great for her. Yeah. Um, and it's entirely possible. Um, Benny, I think it, 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 that kind of clicked in my head too, Harley. And I think Benny was the reason why, because seeing a woman who is a trailblazer in, in wrestling, but especially in Japanese wrestling, um, who has broken down doors that um, now other people can, you know, pass through someone like Eve Surreal. So it's actually, without Venny in that picture, I don't necessarily know how that would work out for Edith, but now it's absolutely clear that it could and it should. So I really hope, you know, I hope we get to see Venny v. Edith too in a TJP ring or in a ddt ring i hope we get to see this again and i hope we get to see it in japan yeah so it's real you know to, to, that's the that was the end of the show that was the main event it's a real shame that the big talking points coming out of the show and out of this weekend aren't going to be bandit versus miles and ed versus venny or the pairs of bumping matches they are going to be the circumstances surrounding the show but maybe you know wishful thinking maybe in a couple of weeks a lot of the bad clouds will float away maybe by uh, the end of december people will be revisiting this the individual matches and maybe getting them the spotlight they deserve i really encourage people to check out the show um regardless of how you feel about everything else involved the show is really worth um viewing and the talent involved did such a great job rallying to make this show happen and their hard work and deserves notice and their talent demands to be paid attention to so um if you were interested in seeing the show but holding off because of the drama because of the intrigue um let it go uh support the show hopefully stream numbers and payments from pay-per-view will trickle back to the talent itself hopefully god willing um so please tune in to wrestle queendom you have through the middle of September to do so via the looped app. Uh, I believe it was what, $20 Harley. Yeah. 20, 20 and change. 20, $20 well spent. And you'd be putting it hopefully back into the pockets of the talent who uh, made this all happen. So um, yeah, definitely check out the show if you can, it's worth watching. And you know, one day I hope that we get to see, you know, one day soon, I hope we get to see more um, wrestling that is dedicated to trans and non-binary performers. Um, I want to see more of that in general. It doesn't have to be coming from the same source. Uh, there's lots of people out there doing great work to bring up that visibility in wrestling. So just like people like Brian Bell. So keep supporting that wrestling, keep supporting that talent and find that wrestling out wherever it is, because it's out there. You just need, we all need to watch it. We need to go, we need to pay tickets to go see it in person. We need to watch the streams. We need to talk about it and put that word out. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Patreon at Grit Glitter Pod. If you support us on Patreon, we use your money to sponsor professional wrestling. The Enjoy Cup from Enjoy Wrestling is on right now, every Thursday on YouTube. Wrestlers Lab is coming back very soon. Thanks to us. Again, single-handedly. Okay, no. 
No jokes. Thanks to a lot of people, but in part, <laughs> thanks to Emily Fear. I, we do what we can here at Grit and Glitter to uh, help spread the good feelings. And, you know, we want to be supporters of the wrestling community. And we'll be supporters of the people producing the wrestling that we love and that we know our listeners love. So when you support us, that money goes right back into the wrestling ecosystem. I promise you, it goes right back into it. We put it right back into the pockets of promoters and talent, bringing you the wrestling that you enjoy watching each and every week. And so, yeah, subscribe at the $1, $5, or $10 level on our Patreon. New episodes of our podcast, of our spinoff podcast, will be coming soon, I promise, including new episodes of Great Glitter and Glow. Me and the lovely Val Quartz are talking updates, so we should have those pretty soon for you, as well as more women's wrestling entertainment, and who knows what else. Subscribe, and maybe we'll just start putting more random stuff and fun things up there. If you have requests for content, let us know. We can always try and make it work. Yeah, feed pics. Let us know. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got Google. I can Google image search some feed for you. I don't mind doing that. Like I um am not into feet, but like I'm also not gonna judge anyone into feet, so please, like if you wanna show us your feet, you can show us your feet. I can look at them objectively and tell you if they're good feet or bad feet. You don't want pictures of my feet. I have very ugly feet. I can tell you which little piggy went to market. I don't I don't mind doing that. Ooh, do you know I mean you could tell just by looking at them? Yeah, I, I can tell which little piggy had most beef. <laughs> Harley, do you have nice feet? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I won't lie, yeah. Oh, man. Okay, everybody. So subscribe to our Patreon, and maybe if we get enough subscribers, you can see Harley R. Padgett's feet. <laughs>